For April 20th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 616, The Brotherhood of the Traveling Pants. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like a, a sort of family. This, this, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We're like three brothers together in, uh, in an, uh, beat up old panel van, uh, you know, careening down the highway, hoping that we don't run out of gas, uh, talking, talking about how things used to be better in the good old days, telling each other stories, regaling of, uh, each other with, uh, stories of times when there used to be magic. That's what we're like. I am a, uh, I am a, well, I see, I always liked being a magic user. I am a, uh, uh, wizard, um, you know, here, uh, Matt rather I'm here with, uh, my, uh, good friend. Can you, can you please identify yourself, uh, by character class, uh, Pete Fenzel? Oh, sure. I think I'm a bard. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> sure, why not? I'll say I'll say that I that I am a that I am a half orc bard <laughs> of uh, maybe the College of the Sword. I'm not sure the College of Lore. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, that's what I am for sure. Nice. And and uh, Mark Lee, uh, can can you identify yourself by character class? Uh, sure. I don't know. A halfling um, paladin is that a thing? Can you have those like, two things? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like a you can be a paladin t- and a, a halfling. Yes. A three foot tall. Halfling, who's like just decked out in armor and is incredibly buff and powerful. Let's go with that. That's how I'm feeling today. Nice. Excellent. Well, that's that's good. So uh, we we are talking about the the Pixar film Onward, which was released uh, digitally. So it's uh, Disney sort of testing a thing. you know, try, trying out something uh, by putting out while movie theaters are shut down, putting out a you know, great like a, what what are they called? Triple A video games. Putting out a triple A Pixar film. Um, I mean, by that I mean fully expensively produced, not like a direct to video sequel to anything, but putting it out uh, digitally first for purchase and rental, and then after a couple of weeks for streaming on on Disney Plus, which is when we all saw it. So. Um, I I have a feeling like unlike you know the live action Mulan which has been postponed Disney feels like they have a second tier uh Pixar um film and it it is I I don't think that would be controversial among anyone who saw it. That said, second tier Pixar is better than ninety percent of films in uh, in current release. Um, so let's uh, let's let's dive in to onward and. Um, you know, let's uh, let's let's see where our adventure takes us. So, what is this uh, film? What is it about, Mark? Can you tell us the story of Onward? Sure, and, and this will be spoilers, of course. And um, uh, there is a notable twist in this movie that might take you for a surprise, which I'll I will reveal in this. So, if you want to be uh, taken with the magic of that surprise and stop listening, uh, go stream the movie on Disney Plus and then come right back. Okay, all right. So, in a world, if you will. Uh, where you have like a high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons style um, mystical creatures, mythical creatures like orcs and and fairies and and centaurs and so on and so forth. Um, imagine that world with magic and sorcerers and so forth, uh, but with modern technology that makes magic obsolete. And then you progress towards the 21st century society with smartphones and cars and so on and so forth, but populated with elves and orcs and, and so on and so forth. Um, in that society, we have a family um, where the dad passed away when, uh, when, a, a, when, a, when a child was young and then while the mother was pregnant with the other child. Um, and so fast forward into the present day, we have these two brothers um, the dad is gone, leave, leaving this big gaping hole uh, in their lives. Uh, the mom is still there. Uh, there's a stepfather in the picture as well who is a centaur cop. Um, the older brother is an embarrassment to the younger brother who is nerdish and nebby, nebbish uh, and shy. The older brother is super into the fantasy stuff and it has like a Magic the Gathering style card game, uh, which speaks to all about their, the, the magical past world that they left behind. Um, through an unlikely series of events, they c- conjure up the bottom half of their dead father 
um, which is kind of an awkward thing to have in a Pixar movie or in any movie for that matter. And then uh, Weekend at Bernie style, they dress him up and send him out into the world and they go on a magical quest to try to get the rest of the dad come together but it's a time box or a thing they only have an hour to, well, one day to do it because of the spell and so they go off in search of, of adventure and magic and things like that and the uh the older brother and younger brother they bond together the mom uh goes after the kids and enlists the help of a mystical mag- magical creature the manticore um who, who comes along um she has notably uh, lost her her kind of uh, adventuring ways of the past and just runs a theme restaurant now. But then um, when the boys uh, make a stop by her restaurant, uh, she is reminded of that and returns to her true self and, and kind of self-actualizes in a way that for, foreshadows uh, for future self-actualization. Um, the brothers bicker. Um, they they make amends. Uh, the younger brother realizes that all along, the hole that he was trying to fill in his life that he thought was his dad's was actually being filled by his older brother who was helping take care of, of him. And that was one of the uh, kind of the emotional touchstone moments of the movie. Fast forward a little bit uh, to the big climax where the younger brother, who is this whole time pining to see his dad because he never got, knew his dad, you know, uh, passed away while he was uh, in the womb. Like complicated, deep emotional Pixar stuff from stuff for a Pixar movie, by the way, um, even a little bit more so than usual. Um, anyway, so his whole quest is try to, to meet his dad for one time. Um, but he he sacrifices an opportunity um, because they're battling a dragon uh, for reasons which we might get into uh, later. And the mom comes, by the way, and helps uh, to battle the dragon. And But he sacrifices that opportunity so that his older brother can uh, kind of get closure with his dad um, because he was old enough to remember him uh, but never got to say goodbye. Um, and that is the happy ending, but the bittersweet happy ending because uh, the younger brother doesn't get to meet the dad. And that, I think, are the highlights of the movie. Did I miss anything, no matter, Pete? Joe, just that the bulk of the movie is a magical quest to find a magical gem and that goes through, yes. you know, that goes through mountains and dungeons and has dragon in it and is very, very fantastical for sure. But, and, and it is a mixture of that high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons style uh, world of all those things you just described and also the 21st century modern society with gas stations yeah. uh, and, and interstate highways and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, it's similar to Harry Potter in certain respects or something like the magicians, uh, except, you know, it's sort of, except that we don't meet anybody like from Harry Potter who is actually a wizard, right? We don't meet anybody who is participating in the secret world of magic. Everybody is just sort of latently adjacent to it if they are still participating in it at all. So it's a little bit more disengaged from that sort of thing. I think you did a good job of summarizing it for sure, definitely. Um, so can we, you want to talk a little bit about what's going on in this movie? Cause I, I, I feel like this is two different movies. One of, and maybe I'm wrong about this because I can only watch it from my own perspective, but the way I feel about it is that this movie probably feels different if you're into Dungeons and Dragons than if you're not. And I say that because of the amount of stuff in this movie that seems to be built on a Dungeons and Dragons structural scaffolding and has kind of setups and payoffs that are related to a familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons. And I wonder if in, we can talk more about if we see as the movie's missteps might be somewhat of an overestimation of the relevance and kind of familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons, right, as a sort of shared touch point for people. Uh, as in, you can put a whole bunch of stuff in a movie that's about you know, uh, baseball or or like the movie Bolt, right? From is all about sort of like adventure shows and dog adventure TV shows, uh, and and people are sort of generally familiar with those, and so you can make a whole bunch of inside jokes about them, and, and uh, you can go real deep on it sometimes, and people will generally follow. This movie feels like it goes deeper into Dungeons and Dragons than I would anticipate. People who don't play are are familiar with. Um, I mean, I don't know, Mark, did you have that sense watching the movie that you were missing something or maybe I'm maybe this was just sort of a, a something where we can take it from kind of like understanding it to kind of like heightening the understanding of it a little bit with the overthinking? Well, I, I think it's uh, assuming a, a knowledge, appreciation and enjoyment of high fantasy along the lines of like you saw Lord of the Rings. Right, right, right. And maybe, okay. like, Game of Thrones is also a big thing with dragons and magic and stuff like that. Um, it, it presupposes that. Um, and then uh, it works if you're, I think, if you're familiar with high fantasy at that level. And then I think it does in surprising ways, uh, which, Pete, I would love to hear more uh, how you think about this, um, reward those who have a deeper knowledge of 
fantasy, in particular Dungeons and Dragons. Right, right. More so even than Stranger Things, which has a pretty surface level mm-hmm. relationship with Dungeons and Dragons, in that it's like it, it, it's about the experience of the kids playing the game. Right. It's about the the fact that it's the kids and they're in the basement and they're on their own and there are monsters and what do the monsters mean for the kids as they encounter them in their fantasy mindscape and what's that? How's that related to the monsters, quote unquote, that they encounter in their social lives or their lives in general? And so Stranger Things has this meta relationship where it has this Dungeons and Dragons as this window setting that then becomes uh, thematically related to it based on the experience of the characters. But Onward is related to Dungeons and Dragons in the structure of the world and in the things that are set up and who the characters are and how they come to be, not in the sense of, you know, the playing of the game, but the game itself. Uh, so, uh, Matt, if you don't mind, may I may I nerd out for a small moment with all of y'all? Is that all right? Yeah, Pete, this is a safe space for nerding oh, right. out. So, uh, by by all means, let it let so, it go. Let's let's right, let's head down into the basement, crack open some Joel Cola and pizza boxes. You put up our Dungeon Master privacy screens. Scroll down our stats. I'm sorry, it's getting too long. Go for it, Pete. Oh, by, by the way, Onward did release in theaters, but it was very brief. So, oh, did it? it didn't, yeah, just very brief, though. I, it barely counts. Um, but anyway, I don't want to interrupt a sentence that I'm going to be very uh, happy to say and then build off of. So, in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, there are three subclasses of halflings. You have the Lightfoots, the Stouts, and the Ghostwises. So th- this, to me, was the sort of clue, the big sort of light that lights up that says, oh, this whole thing has been made by somebody who, at the very least, has read a player's handbook for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons or like a Forgotten Realms book or some other very specific Dungeons & Dragons setting that talks about Lightfoots, right? Because the name of the main character is Lightfoot, and that's the name of the family. Although I would posit, right, that uh, when you're talking about Lightfoot versus stout halflings in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the stout halflings are thicker, right? They have constitution bonuses, the bonus to their hardiness and their health, whereas the Lightfoots are, are not as, 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 uh, as burly but are more personable, and they have a bonus to their charisma. And then the ghost-wise halflings in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons are a sort of expansion subrace that have telekinetic powers. They, they are tele, telepathic powers. They can talk to each other without talking, and they have a bonus to their wisdom. And so, yes, I know the characters call themselves elves. They don't really look like elves. They're obviously – a lot of this has been sort of picked up and moved over a little bit so that it doesn't really exactly match a fantasy world. Uh, are they drow? Maybe. I don't know. The sun is involved in this in some way. But the, the wait, wait, Pete, are, 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 are drow elves elves that have like coward-esque wit? No. <laughs> those are, are those are those jeans and flat shirts. What? Those are droll elves. Oh, droll elves. <laughs> <laughs> a drow is a dark elf who has sunlight sensitivity. Uh, but um and also uh lives in a matriarchal society ruled by a spider goddess or some sort. Anyway, um <laughs> which which isn't in this movie. But anyway, you have a main character named Lightfoot who is paired with a his brother who is thick, right, with two C's, as it were, right, and their dad who is a ghost. So this to me says, okay, that maps pretty closely onto the sub-races of the halfling race in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. And also, these guys kind of feel more like hobbits than they do like elves in just the way that they act as characters. They have no real obsession with beauty or the passage of time. or They're not delicate. They're not from the woods. No, There's they're, really they're, nothing about these guys. Guys, you know. They're domestic. They exist in like a yes. very in kind of a middle class domestic sphere. Right. So so they've been positioned as elves because everything in the movie, other than gelatinous cubes for some reason, which are exactly portrayed exactly how they are in Dungeons and Dragons, everything in the movie kind of gets picked up and moved like a little bit, but only a little bit. And so you have these two halfling brothers from two different halfling races. And the, and there's a joke, right, which is that a lightfoot halfling is supposed to have naturally high charisma. And so the the journey of Ian in this movie, uh, he is the lightfoot halfling, right? His brother is the stout halfling, even though he's also a lightfoot. Ian's the one whose shirt says lightfoot on it. And his father is the ghostwise halfling who can't talk to him. Uh, and and he is trying to find his charisma, his force of personality, his ability to get along with others, and also this sort of his way of expressing himself, right? Um, so so that that's a, a little key into the idea of like, okay, so this movie might – 
have a sort of under a sort of endoskeleton of setups and relationships that are based off of, I would assume, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, but also previous versions of Dungeons and Dragons, other high fantasy role playing games, uh, because the person has gotten deep into it enough that they know halfling taxonomy. Right. So if we step away from race for a minute in Dungeons and Dragons sense and we talk about class Right. Uh, th- this this concept is talked about in the movie a lot. Ooh, we're getting we're getting intersectional. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this, is, this is all about intersectionality. It's about race and class. When you are evaluating a character sheet, you need to take into account the background. You need to take into account the background is an underrated aspect of a, building a character in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. It gives you some of your starting proficiencies. It gives you that nice little RP hook that your DM can use for you. But at any rate, um, and the case that these guys are background, what, uh, suburban high school students, I think you get you probably get uh, history proficiency if you want from that and maybe uh not animal handling, but maybe like frozen dinner handling, but it uh, <laughs> with various tools. But the point is that, that, that we have Dungeons and Dragons classes that are mentioned in the context of the story. And one thing I wanted to point out is that the father, right? The father Lightfoot in this story is referred to as a wizard. And, uh, Uh, whenever I say that, I think of Ian McKellen from Extras when he's like, but you understand, I'm not actually a wizard. (laughs) It's like, well, yes, but you will pretend to be a wizard. How will I know what to say? The words will be written down in the scripts. But um, the father is called a wizard, right? And the father's participation in magic in the story is that he has written down a magical spell and left it for somebody else to find. In Dungeons and Dragons, the way wizards do magic is they write their spells down in books. So there are different ways that you can play with magic in Dungeons and Dragons, and you sort of have different magical sources and different magical rule sets. Calling the father a wizard and then having the wizard have a spell book, right, that he's written his spells down in would match how Dungeons and Dragons treats the spellcasters. And this would point to Ian being a different sort of spellcaster. In Dungeons and Dragons, there one of the other kinds of spellcasters is a sorcerer. And a sorcerer, unlike a wizard, doesn't write down their spells. A sorcerer draws their magical ability from within themselves. It's born into them in some way. Uh, it's it's a, maybe either a dragon spirit or it's wild magic or they, they have some relationship with, with uh, the shadows or the elements or the divine or something that they have some sort of inner magical energy. Interestingly enough, the main spellcasting stat for a wizard is intelligence, but the main spellcasting stat for a sorcerer is charisma. And so the idea that Ian is a lightfoot halfling sorcerer for whom charisma should be his main stat, who is finding himself not having any charisma, Mm. going about a quest where he discovers his charisma seems to me to be a very elaborate sort of Dungeons and Dragons joke, right? Or or perhaps it's an idea where they were inspired by this, right? Inspired by the way that these races and classes and setups in the game interact with each other, and, and they came up with the story to kind of overlay it, and they make it plausible for other people because they don't have to see the wires. You don't have to necessarily know how it's working, right? Sure. So, so you've got yeah, you've got a dad who's a wizard. You've got a son who's a sorcerer. They, some of the other characters jump out real fast as to what class they are. The Manticore is very obviously a barbarian. She uses a giant two-handed sword. She lives. She's in a tavern telling war stories. Very sort of Conan, right? It's sort of like big, uh, burly, you know, not necessarily wearing sleeves kind of lady uh, who's the barbarian. And then you have the, uh, the, the cop, who I would say is the paladin. Because the paladin is the like lawful good knight, right? Who rides a horse most of the time. He he has the greater he has the uh, the getting a greater mount ability, so he can he can find a special horse for himself. And so paladins are supposed to be riding horses, and they're supposed to be protecting people. Uh, one example of how that plays in is that in the old versions of Dungeons and Dragons, when you play a paladin, there's a really annoying rule that says that if you do things that are against your lawful good alignment, your sort of morality in the game. Um, And again, this is a game where you're pretending to be a high fantasy character by engaging in a semi-improvised dialogue with other people, as well as fighting monsters in a kind of roughly or more specifically coordinated combat system. If you do things that are against your alignment, you lose your paladin powers. You, You have the ability to heal people. You have the ability to kind of cast holy auras and whatnot. But if you do bad things or if you violate the law or your sense of the kind of metaphysical, spiritual sense of what lawfulness is, you can lose your powers. 
So, okay, there's a scene in this movie where Ian is disguised as a paladin, as a cop, right? A cop on a horse. And he is, uh, and he's not allowed to lie or he loses the magic that's supporting his paladin thing is going to fade. And I think, oh, that's a Dungeons and Dragons joke, right? Or if it's, it's either a joke because you know that it's a reference to an underlying concept in Dungeons and Dragons, or they were inspired. They sort of made a big board and they put on it a bunch of things that happened in Dungeons and Dragons that are interesting or cool. And they built these various plot and character moments out of it. Um, now I know I'm going on for a little bit, but there were two really big par- uh, sort of beats in this movie that are really related to this notion that the characters are supposed to be Dungeons and Dragons classes. And the movie is about them realizing that despite their modern lives, who they really are is this Dungeons and Dragons fantasy character. I'm, I'm a, in this case, what a halfling or an elf. I'm an elf sorcerer, right? I'm a manticore barbarian, which sounds like a pretty cool homebrew kind of thing to do. And, uh, you have the mom, right? And you have, uh, um, barley, Right. Barley, the older brother. And so with the mom, she makes it overt. Right. You're sort of thinking, I don't know if you were thinking this while you're watching it, while you're watching the movie. Oh, okay. Everybody else is becoming a fantasy character in some way. They're all on these quests. Right. Like the cop is on the quest to find the children, which is suitable for a paladin. The kids are on the quest to find the crystal, which is a suitable quest for a sorcerer. Right. And then like the manticore is the one who had the the map and is kind of following the map because it was stolen from her tavern. These all make sense as Dungeons and Dragons stories. But the mom is just a mom. And this feels like a very kind of uh, Incredibles, like, we're going to reveal that the mom is a hero, too, and she's also going to be able to do all this cool stuff. And your assumption that your mom was in some way foreign to you as merely a provider for your needs is going to be foiled by the mom turning out to be like a big hero. And certainly this happens. And she even announces it to you when she takes the sword from the manticore and goes to stab the dragon's curse and says, I am a fighting warrior. Right. Which to me feels like a compromise, because in Dungeons and Dragons, what she's saying is I'm a fighter. Uh, A fighter is a kind of warrior in Dungeons and Dragons. It's a classic old kind of class. Um, It's pretty straightforward. You're a you're a fighter. You fight Um, (laughs) any weapons, any armor. Now, how'd they Uh, they come up with that, Pete? How'd they come up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's annoying, right? Because in the very, very early Dungeons and Dragons, your options are very few. And so the classes are very general. And then as you go on, the classes get more. Everything gets more specific and it spins out and gets more complicated. But you still have fighter, which feels like this very broad category that doesn't really map onto a particular sort of concept all that greatly. Uh, although there are a lot of great fighters. And w- once you actually play it, you realize it's like, oh, it's all the like regular knights and regular soldiers and kind of sword and shield and maybe bow and arrow adventurers. It, it has a bunch of different ways that it can relate to fantasy. But um, it seemed obvious that it's like, well, she can't say I'm a fighter because nobody knows that that's a Dungeon Dragons class. Also, there's this whole problem with the fact that she is somewhat ignored for the rest of the movie and everything she's gone through. is like she's just chasing the kids. She doesn't really have much to do. Um, but but I'm thinking, OK, th- that cashes it out. Right. We, we have this suspended idea of like, is the mom an adventurer, too? Yes, she is. She's a fighter. Oh, this is how the family worked. It was a fighter who married a wizard and they had two kids who were a sorcerer and barley. And then this is, I think, for me, the place where the movie falls the flattest, which is that Barley is a problem. And he's a problem for everybody. Uh, And not just because he causes issues. He actually doesn't really cause that many issues. It's because people don't really know how to think about him and they see him as transgressive. Uh, he, he doesn't do what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, in the parlance of Dungeons and Dragons morality, Barley is chaotic. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's evil, right? In Dungeons and Dragons, typically, there's these two axes of morality, the lawfulness and the chaotic uh, dimension of whether you support or refuse to accept uh, order, kind of social order, natural order, concepts of order, metaphysical concepts of order um, versus chaos, or whether you're good and that you're generous and you help other people and you sacrifice yourself for the good of others uh, and you sort of respect that kind of things that should happen for a reason happen for that reason and and uh, I mean that goes into lawful a little bit, but there's this sense that like the order of the universe, or rather the way the universe ought to work is f- 
fundamentally in a good way. And those are kind of good people, good as in people get help when they need it and people who have extra are willing to share it. And then evil are people who are greedy and selfish and hurt others for their own benefit. Um, so you could have a lawful evil person who follows rules because they're terrified of their boss or because they're looking to themselves get ahead but don't really care about anybody else. You have a chaotic evil person, right? And this is all stuff you've heard on the Internet a thousand times, who is, uh, it, you know, is like, I don't obey any rules and I hurt anybody around me for my own pleasure. And Barley is an issue because he is chaotic. And, and people keep asking the question of whether he's good or bad. And uh, and really, they keep suggesting he's bad. Like he gets bad mouthed by his stepdad to his coworkers, right? He gets bad mouthed by his own brother, right? And and this raises the question: Okay, well, what is barley, right? Because every Dungeons and Dragons party needs to have a rogue, as they say, or a thief, somebody who can help them when they go into dungeons to find the traps, disarm the traps, sneak through the sneaky places, backstab the biggest monsters. There, and this this comes with an inborn character tensions because your thief is probably going to be somebody who isn't necessarily on the right side of morality all the time and they have to work together with like the clerics and the and the paladins and whatnot to accomplish the goal of the mission and so there's this notion of well is barley the rogue in this group because he's the one who can go into the dungeon and find the traps and stuff and and i think he's not i think that that what we really find out is that barley is the bard of the group Barley is the storyteller. He's the one who inspires people. He's the one who carries forward the tradition, right? He's the one who has cassette tapes that he plays in the car. And and so, like, and that's also a class in Dungeons & Dragons of bards and inspirational people and storytellers. And there's this way the story turns where Barley goes from being this kind of both kind of messed up but also vaguely menacing or threatening presence, sort of, to somebody who is, like, really dear and, and really cherished. Uh, and I think that if I were to look at the Dungeons and Dragons uh, underpinning, it's because people think that Barley is like a, a morally neutral rogue when really he's a chaotic good bard. Uh, and, and and making that realization is a big part of what makes him uh, who he is. And when you look at the character design, you look at an image of him, you'll be like, oh, of course, because he's wearing a vest that has the na- these patches on them. And these patches are almost certainly the names of bands. Right. Like he's probably they're probably like heavy metal rock bands. Right. Although he does have his Questmaster badges and whatnot and his dice badges. Right. You would think that, OK, Barley likes music, um, but he doesn't really play it out in the movies sometimes. I mean, because he does. He plays he plays the squeedily deedily guitar solo music when they're driving in the van. He plays the Valkyrie sacrificial music for the van when it dies. Huh. Um, but that's but that's the point. Right. Is that like the movie has a meta Dungeons and Dragons arc wherein the modern world gets converted into the high fantasy world that it always was. And it's about the characters showing you and also coming to understand who they are in the context of the adventure. And this, this, and that schema is all in a Dungeons and Dragons parlance. So then once you have all that, I think that, that you can then go on and talk more about like, okay, well, what's going on in this movie and why are they telling the story this way? Um, but uh, but I wanted to kind of brief everybody. I want to make sure I didn't miss any like really big Dungeons and Dragons uh, points here. Uh, just that well, there's no there's no gods in this movie, which is unfortunate because that's a pretty big dimension. Dungeons and Dragons, like there's no there's really no evil. Um, nothing in here is really bad. Uh, not even the dragon is is evil or bad. Um, the pixies are funny, but that's more from a music standpoint than from a from a, a Dungeons and Dragons standpoint. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much. Oh, and the spell components. One of the other clues that you're really dealing with Dungeons and Dragons is that you know if you play Fifth Edition that in order to cast a Revivify Resurrection or True Resurrection spell, you have to have a diamond of a certain amount of value that gets consumed by the spell. So the notion that they had a gem that had to be consumed in order to revive the father for a short period of time, and they need to find another diamond to resurrect him again when the first time doesn't work, that's like pulled from the rule book. That's 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 uh, very, very much a like, oh, this is something that happens when you play Dungeons and Dragons games. Uh, and and so it's in the movie, which I, I don't know if other people would find that as uh, as convenient. And the idea that spells have components, right? You have to make certain gestures or say certain things. Uh, when you're doing them and you have to learn the components and if your ability to to use the components of the spell is disrupted you can't cast the spell is another is another dimension of it but that's a little bit more minor in how it's exercised um 
Yeah, there's no Thacko though because it's fifth edition and not second edition. Uh, <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. Thacko, yeah, man. Like uh, I remember that it was all too complicated. Second edition, advanced second edition Dungeons and Dragons, which is the the first system I learned, is not mm-hmm. was not optimized for the 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 happiness, the like the carefree happiness of the <laughs> of the twelve year old player. You know, no, or, no. We're, <laughs> we're still, I think, like ten or ten or eleven year old player. Also, like the the uh player's handbook um has a like a half page uh explanation of why we only should use masculine pronouns and uh because <laughs> they're clear and concise and uh you know g- and uh general and uh, nothing else is and that's uh oh god uh d- has has not aged well um, <laughs> for for a variety of reasons okay i have i mean like this is interesting but this is really interesting pete and it like it opened up um you know, it opened up a, a way of looking at the story that I think highlighted some some sense of wh- where I think the movie went wrong. And and I th- I mean I don't know go go wrong. You know I don't know how it, how wrong did it really go? It's 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 affecting. It's fun. It's you know uh, definitely has good parts in it. Um, ultimately, like on the binary scale, it's a one, not a zero. But I I think that that the what i what i walked away from this movie with was a sense of missed opportunity uh in a lot of in a lot of respects and i think that your kind of analysis of it um you know uh the, or at least this kind of schematic uh mapping uh gives me a lot of tools to to talk about why so like let's talk about what dungeons and dragons is like it's a role playing game yeah um but it it's at a more abstract level it's a, it's a set of tools for collaborative storytelling where two things can happen one is that the people can self actualize and two the people can unite themselves to a, a sort of mythic history that is kind of an ersatz you know swords and sorcery mythic mythic history it's a little arthurian it's a i mean it's a little it's a little bit country it's a little bit rock right like there, there's a lot going on in the kind of the the myth um i actually should say the ethos of dungeons and dragons you know so there's a lot there's a lot happening uh it's a it's a sampler platter and and that's wonderful because you have a lot of great lego bricks that you can sort of use to to do these two things to kind of self-actualize through storytelling uh through collaborative storytelling and kind of um teamwork and and sort of playing a game together like uh, and there are aspects of sort of 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 community formation there are aspects of kind of like overcoming a challenge you know uh a lot of good stuff and then and then you sort of you unite your own it it gives a kind of mythic language you unite your own struggles to the um you know to the kind of the uh highfalutin the the grandiose is the word i mean the grandiose language of you know epic fantasy yeah i mean is that is that a fair discussion i mean is that a fair way of describing one aspect of dungeons and dragons or am i leaving something terribly out no, no, I think you got it. That yeah, makes sense okay, to me. Great. Yeah. So does the movie do this? Right? Like are there there are two because there's nothing wrong with schematic there's nothing wrong with like a, a schema in storytelling right like the, uh, we relate to these things all the time in fact like one of the whole sub themes of the 616 episodes of the overthinking podcast is that like how we narrativize things really matters because we interact with the, you know we produce meaning we produce experience partially through uh you know phenomena like partially through experience out there in the world and partially through how we narrativize these things are ourselves. And, and so the story you tell yourself about what your experience means matters, which actually under quarantine may make a difference to you and may like bring this home to you um, in a, a really, you know, in a, a different kind of way, perhaps than uh, under, you know, previous conditions of, of non quarantine. <laughs> um, so, okay. Does the, does the movie do these things with with these tools? Does it let the characters, the brothers, the sort of uh, you know the party who's camp- the campaigning party, or you know the B characters also self actualize? And does it unite them to um, to a mythic history? Right, and it's not 
It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> the answer, the answer is no. The answer is that it sort of fails at both. It, it doesn't fail. It half asses both things. Right. And, um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do it. Like when the mother says, I am a, like, I am a fearsome warrior or I am a mighty warrior or whatever, whatever she says, right? Like she's quoting the aerobics tape that she sees at the, that she's working out to at the beginning of the, uh, of the movie when, when, um, Ian Lightfoot comes home for the first time. And that, like, uh, Ian, right? I, I, yeah. like, I forget these characters' names. That's how, that's how, um, sort of poorly sketched uh they are and or uh, how sketched i should say they are um and that like there is this sense in which she's recapturing she's reconnecting to the um the kind of the primordial version of what she is doing what she is kind of reenacting in a comic in a ridiculous register by doing her like her workout tape in front of the um in front of the tv like i am you know like hey when you're doing your your like your Jane Fonda jazzercise, like in a way you are, you know, connected to the, to the Greek heroes who like threw themselves into battle on the, the fields outside of Troy. Like, okay, maybe, um, it doesn't, it, you know, it sort of, it sort of doesn't happen. Like the, her realization of that, her like self-actualization is unsatisfying and the connection of the kind of the current world to its mythic history, the kind of owning or integrating of the sort of the mythic history and the, the, like the magic, um, you know, isn't really, uh, isn't really cashed out in a satisfying way. Is this a coming of age story about a kid who needs to find his confidence? And it's like, it's, it's one of these like things where charisma here kind of equals confidence. Um, and like, and believing, you know, believing in yourself, uh, is, is that it? Is it a, is it a coming of age story? Is it a buildings roman? Is it, you know, that kind of story? Or is it a story about a culture kind of coming to terms with its own, its own kind of mythic past? You know, um, Faulkner did this a lot with America and what he took to be the kind of the original sin of America, which is slavery, right? Like, and, and, uh, there is this, terrible reckoning right that happens in Faulkner with the kind of with America and the history of America and the kind of the the history kind of repeating itself so is this a story of reckoning with uh, a magical past with the legacy or patrimony of the father right um, or is it a story about a person growing up, a person sort of discovering his own capabilities, uh, coming of age, discovering his own sort of power and his own uniqueness of a person self-actualizing? Yeah, right. It's kind of it's kind it kind of gestures in the way of of both. Uh, it gestures in in that direction. And let me yeah. let, let me try to answer the question a bit. Like it's it's more about the the self actualization in the buildings for Vermont than it is about um, the world reckoning with its origins and and uh, the mythical past that it, that it had cast aside. Um, that's at least my attempt in answering it. Another good example uh, of the fighter warrior thing that you're talking about with mom uh, and how she's trying to recapture um, uh, the, the primordial past piece is uh, is two two characters, two sets of characters, right? The Manticore, who we talked about before, um, goes from being a, a a restaurateur who is beholden to her investors, notably, and like feels like you know she she doesn't have any actual. Uh, control over her abilities and and also, also was not able to fly and then remembers oh I can fly and then likewise with the pixie bikers who can do the same thing now what impact does that really have to the under the third one being the the centaur stepdad um, who uh, previously just uh, drives around everywhere because he's a cop um, and that's what you do in a, in a modern 21st century style um, uh, society uh, but in uh, at, at the end of the movie after magic has brought the quote unquote magic has been brought back to the world he just gallops about um, now uh, I, I think what it's missing Matt is what you're talking about with the Faulkner piece about how it like you know more directly confronts um, like the drastic implications of how society lost its magic years ago and then all of a sudden has it back 
Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's like to well, sure. Like what what happened? Like what what was our ignorance? What was our you know our complacent? I mean, she, he, talk, he talked about it like um, complacency. Like uh, it was actually easier because magic required study and sacrifice. Like um, it was easier to invent the light bulb than uh, you know than than to do magic and like sort of foundational myths. Um, you know, foundational myths tell you like tell you two things, right? Like they tell you that um, they tell you what the world is like. You know what people are like, like what uh, forces there are in the world, what the important entities are in the world, whether they're figured as gods or as you know the Aesop fables or whatever, right? And um, they also and they also tell you what it costs to live. You know, like uh, what you have to sacrifice in order to um, uh, in order to go on. And so so they deal with kind of the 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 uh, Freeman dichotomy, the uh, the get busy living and get busy dying. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Dichotomy like they they uh, they deal in this and this. So like if this was going to be the kind of like epic story of uh, how uh, Elva got her groove back. Right. That. You know, the, every piece would have to tell you a profound truth about elven nature, um, and or every piece would have to tell you about sort of uh, like a sacrifice in order, like what it costs in order to kind of achieve certain aims uh, in in life. The ultimate cost being that that you know we are born to die, um, and it just didn't. You know, and then like. And if it were a satisfying uh, coming-of-age story, there would have to be, like, the, the beginning and the end would have to be of a piece, would have to be syntonic somehow. Uh, that, like, the thing that was achieved <laughs> at the end would have had to be, you know, akin to what the aims were at the, at the beginning. I don't know, Pete, how do you wrestle with the, the dichotomy that I'm proposing here? Um, it's tricky, right? Because the magic, the 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 explanation at the beginning that the idea that society. So I want to unpack this a little bit. In this world, people gave up on magic because it was hard, and they instead reverted to technology because it was easy. Mm. Now let's put aside that suggestion uh, on itself because I, I don't think that that's. Let, let's put that in the context of what it means in the movie. This is what the father is saying in his letters to the sons. And the father didn't do magic in his life, as far as we know. And this is this is part of one of the this is one of the many places in the movie where I feel like it gets clunky. And as like you're saying, the beginning and the end don't match. The setup and the payoff don't quite connect. And it might be just because they're trying to do so many things at the same time that they arrived at a final product where everything kind of lands. Uh, and it's great and it's fun and it's good and it's good enough. Certainly, you could commit to this movie in a way that would make it unwatchably dark. Um, right. Cause they've already started talking about things that are incredibly depressing and, and scary, especially in the world today. Right. Um, and that's just in a sort of, that's just like five minutes after we get done talking about halfling sub races. Right. So it's sort of like going too deep into this movie does threaten to make it like very difficult to watch. Um, but, but I will say, so I don't necessarily blame the movie per se for not cashing out what it sets up, but it is, it does, the movie sort of begs and, and asks us to investigate it. So, okay. So the father got interested in magic, I think, when he got terminally ill as a way of attempting a sort of act of desperation to attempt to reach out to his kids. There is nothing intrinsically about the father's life that the kids will learn by using magic. The, the, the dad, I mean, I guess they say that the dad was a wizard because he was a fan of the game. And I think this is really where it really kind of gets into a, a, a trick for me, right? Because there you've got the, you've got the fake Dungeons and Dragons game, right? You've got the Dungeons and Dragons game in the movie, which is a, which is a semi-historical work, right? It's like historical fiction based on the reality of magical world in the movie. You have the father who liked to play the game, but, but who we, as far as we can tell, other than this act that he did at the end of his life was not involved in the real side of magic uh, very much at all during the course of his life. So if the goal that the kids have is to get to know their dad, then what they should be doing is playing the game, 
rather than actually doing magic, right? Because that wasn't his life. Um, yeah, this would be this. That, yeah. I, you could see you could see this movie being Jumanji, and it it kind of working better in that way. Like, oh my goodness, this magic is really magic, you know? Right, right, right. Or there's being some. I mean, of course, the fact that the dad. I'm Kevin Hart. <laughs> the dad is the pair of pants gag is like totally not cashed out at all. And I, I mean, I think is probably like what what does the dad as pants even accomplish other than the one thing about the sort of da 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 thing with the with uh, with Barley that's very sweet. Is there anything else in the movie that's like funny? The dad doesn't. Good? The dad doesn't have to breathe, so like he can stand underwater at the end. That's how they yeah, get that's past just, the that's last. That's just an track. arbitrary plot. Yeah, thing, it's right? not. It's that's, not. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not intrinsic at all. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like they made him khaki pants. They didn't just make him any pants. They made him khaki pants, which I think is funny. But like the movie isn't interested in, in a khaki pants narrative. I mean, even just looking at the even just looking at the movie poster, you've got Ian in skinny jeans, you've got Barley in the cargo shorts, and you've got the dad in the khaki pants. And that in and of itself tells a story. It's not the story of this movie, right? Like it's a it's a different story. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's my, sort of my it, my best yeah. explanation is going back to that uh, old phrase, right? Who wears the pants in the family? Oh, interesting. Uh, I, I don't have much beyond that, though. I mean, I guess that's because uh, does does he wear the pants? I guess in a way he does wear the pants in the family and that like he has this psychic grip and hold them. His memory has this has this uh, outsized influence on the family. And yet he, he he's still not there. Um, so I guess in a in a brotherhood of the traveling pants or way, then <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what the, this was movie, another thing this movie was missing is like Ian should have been wearing pants, the, the, the khakis at, at the end. Yes, 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 exactly. I love that. I also think that um, I mean, if you really want to get one of the other ways this movie could have gotten really weird and dark would have been recognizing that, like, the portion of the father that existed below the belt is the portion that he was able to give to his children. Huh. <laughs> 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 Whereas the other portion he was not able, which is again like, man, this gets like weird and psychosexual and twisted pretty fast. Yeah, you should have, you should have, like, what? It's a little selfish, a little selfish yeah, yeah. for the boys to take the pants out. I mean, like, let the pants stay home with mom, you know? That's. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah i mean like we're already making more jokes about pants than the movie makes which is weird because it's a movie about disembodied pants so it's it's sort of like if we went to go watch the shaggy dog and then there was a big story about the shaggy dog and it didn't amount to anything hey oh but no it's uh i don't know it's just it's like what is it like seeing it's like seeing point break and there being no surfing and be having it mostly be about bank robberies uh, i mean like i don't know it's just it's there's just i don't know i should stop complaining but it's like I want this I yearn for this movie to come to a resolution where the so many different levels of symbolism that it had set up, like yield to a unity, right? Like to some sort of, of new critical unity that, that expresses the beauty of the proposition that they're putting in front. And it's real tough, man. It's real tough because, as we've mentioned, right, like what is I mean, what you, so one way that you describe what does Dungeons and Dragons do, it, it, uh, it lets you express yourself. Right. But but Barley never has problems expressing himself. So him playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons doesn't change anything. Right. I guess he already plays the game. And so he already expresses himself. But Ian doesn't learn to express himself like Barley. Ian learns to express himself like Ian. And so the game is of sort of questionable value in doing all of that. OK, it also links you to this mythical history, which it doesn't do in this movie because they don't have any association with this history of magic. It is merely the history of their world. It is not the history of their family. And I guess I would also say that the family as an adventuring unit, as a family as a party, who is the party is, is I guess, one of the big questions that I have leaving this movie in terms of like, what are the sort of the checks that are written by the Dungeons and Dragons of this movie that are not cashed? And one of them is like, who is in Ian's adventuring party? If it is only one other person, it is a bad adventuring party. <laughs> that is not how you build an adventuring party, right? So is it like it's Ian and Barley and like his dad, the wizard, and his mom, the fighter, and then the the manticore, and then the and the paladin cop? Like all of them together, is that supposed to be the adventuring party? That's not the sense the movie gives you, right? Like the, mm. the cop is mean to them and badmouths his own stepson to his coworkers and never gets any comeuppance for it at all. And and you would think that he would be kicked to the curb by the time the movie is over based on how he behaves. But that's not reckoned with either. So like 
the coherence of the family isn't really what this movie this movie i don't know if i want to really get kind of dismissive about it i guess i would say that this is a movie that fantasizes that the most important thing to a child is the f- fear of death of their parents Mm. <laughs> like that like uh and and that like that that it doesn't it doesn't explore any of the any of the other dimensions of Ian's coming of age other than merely the fact that his dad is dead and and like like the things that he wants to do in his life are all things that he would do with his dad and it and I'm like and it's like well yeah but that's not your full role as a parent is not to like raise a kid who obsesses about you you know, you want the kid to have independence. And yeah, I know he invites the kids to the party and then they go to the party at the end. But it's worth noting that that never happens during the movie. Those kids don't participate in the movie or the adventure at all. I mean, is this a, is this, is Ian and his glowing staff with his Phoenix gem, you know, kind of coming into his own as a sexual being? Is there a girl or a guy that he likes? Like, we don't know. It doesn't seem that way. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know. I could keep ranting about all the little pieces of it that don't, they don't, do they gain experience? Do they get better at things? That's the other thing that you can do. One of the other reasons that you play Dungeons and Dragons is to experience progression is to experience growth in in a time frame That's, that is longer than one sitting, but shorter than real life. Um, you're talking and, about leveling up your character, right? Yeah. Watching your character grow as a person and become more powerful and stronger. Uh, which is an extension of, you know, the, of the fantasy of what we all become as we get older and better at things, right? Like, is the hope that as we go on in life, we gain experience and we, we become better at stuff. Um, and certainly, that, certainly that's a hope. Um, but that's that's not, you know, it's that reality or its frustration is also not really explored that much in the movie. I mean, Ian gets better at stuff, but it's mostly in more of a superhero mold where it's stuff that he was already good at. And he just didn't know it. And he just needs to like play around with it a little bit. It's more of a pubescent power that he gets than a uh, than a power of experience. Um, I don't know. I could keep going, Matt. Am I? Am I? I know I kind of went a little far afield of what you were talking about, but um, I, I don't know. Does that does that does that answer your question at least at all about? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it. I, I think it is, and I think we're like putting our finger on. I think we're you know uh, magically revealing the kind of the the problem here you know that that like like what is the mother you know the b characters like the man the manticore you know what is their arc like the the some of the b characters it seems like their journey is about embracing a a less civilized you know uh they're they're journey is sort of con their uh, journey is contra modernity you know that like the manticore needs to be a ferocious beast you know she should be lighting the birthday candles with the the f- f- awesome fire of her breath and not with um you know a, a little uh a big lighter uh that like she has to sort of embrace that like the mother is a fierce warrior who can who can slay a dragon that colt you know just to, to give him his due like he's born to run you know uh and he should have like Fabio hair and be out running rather than being this kind of straight laced buttoned up, uh, you know, buttoned up sort of guy. Is that the lesson that the main characters um, like uh, that the main characters were are, are meant to learn? Like Ian's lesson is like, hey, you know, uh, turns out, buddy, you were actually like this gaping hole that you felt in the center of your life, like that you've kind of narrativized to yourself as this sort of profound loss, uh, you know, or this profound lack, I guess, because he never really, uh, never really had it to to lose. You know, this this profound emptiness or absence. You know, it, it turns out you were parented in a satisfactory way all along. Uh, congratulations, son. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the it's not uh, it it doesn't it it doesn't rhyme with the the thing that the the themes that the the other characters. Um, that the other characters have, like, uh, I like. Does it matter that he blew up the high school? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, does it matter that, um, you know, uh, and and like, do, what is Colt's? What is Colt's deal at the? Not Colt. Um, Corn. 
barley. The the uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, corn was a, a generic word for grain in in Anglo-Saxon. Um, the uh, barley is like at the end, it's. It's sort of like the the story of Job, where like he gets a new, better family, and Barley like gets a new, better van at the end of the thing. Except that the paint job was done with magic, you know. And that's like, uh, what does he like? What does he sacrifice? What does he learn? You know that that um, it it just doesn't uh, it doesn't add up it doesn't track and and a lot of these things are sort of gestured at you know and the kind of like the the interesting thing about the the sort of schema of dungeons and dragons laid laid over the movie is that they are they are rich tools, right? Like the, the fault, it, an unsatisfactory story cannot be blamed on, you know, poor quality raw materials, uh, in this sense. You know, this is, this is like, uh, a cook who had some really, really good ingredients and like a little bit like what, what it was, the kind of the, the central story of this movie is, is, uh, obscure like is is a little hard to so, to pin down i have a observation and a question uh wrapped on the one which is that um you know what we talked about a lot before you know like the um with the the characters getting their magic back but also kind of you know living in the modern society and also uh, just generally speaking the fact that there is a a quest and a journey all that kind of stuff um the story is a pretty basic hero's journey kind of thing right and at the end you had this little master of two worlds both worlds kind of kind of thing right a good example of this is moana right where they're on the island they don't go out to the ocean but she goes out to the ocean and by the end of it uh she is the master of two worlds and her uh, as are her, her entire peoples as well um is that at odds with dungeons and dragons in, in any way oh, like what i'm hearing about like that Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, it's the continuing growth of the character and you go on these quests and things like that, but it's not, uh, it doesn't have that kind of like hero's journey. You have the, the status quo and then you break the threshold and you come back to where you started before, but all change and all that kind of stuff. Uh, are these two things at odds with each other? Hero's journey and then uh, Dungeons and Dragons? That's really interesting. Uh, in one respect, they are because Dungeons and Dragons games don't have a protagonist. They have a party, and it's a, and it's a collaborative game. So it's not so you have situations when you're playing where one person's backstory or one person will be the kind of focus of the story, and you could have a given. Well, okay, I'll, I'll step back and I'll I'll frame it this way because Mark, I don't think you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, right? Uh, per se, no. Yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons is split up into. I, I would I would say that in. In 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, the, the style that, that I've been playing and the most common style right now, and I think also overall the most popular style because it's gotten so much more popular recently than it's kind of ever been, uh, is, that, is there really – there are three levels of how you experience narrative. There is the adventure, right? So the adventure is the thing that you're currently going to go do. And, and it, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, you guys have left and you have to go and, and – uh, you know, kill the giants on the other side of the continent, and you have to come back and tell the tale. And and that adventure could have dimensions of a hero's journey in it, especially if it's like one of your first adventures, and you're kind of discovering things, and and you're kind of learning things about yourself, and you're kind of transforming into this person who can do this thing, right? So there's the the level of the adventure in which you play the movie, uh, play the play the game, and you can think of it as a as a cogent kind of narrative item with a beginning, middle, and an end that's very self-contained. Then you have what you could refer to as the tier, although most people in this case would skip to the campaign, which is, on a larger sense, all of the adventures that you do with a single character that you play in with this character. Now, there might be situations where you change characters, right, because your character dies or, you know, gets kidnapped or you get bored of them and you switch them. Um, you could definitely have a party of people where each of them switch characters at different times. There might be a kind of ship of Theseus situation where the campaign ends diff with different people than it started. But it's still the story of this one party that goes from the beginning to the end and progresses through the game. Uh, in this particular world or setting, right? However large or small or complex or simple it might be, the campaign is the kind of full scope of all of the stuff that happens. And uh, on that level, 
I guess you could potentially have a hero's journey on the sort of big level of the campaign in the sense that there might be a time when the characters literally have to go to hell and come back. Uh, and or they might have to go get the great boon to fight the giant monster. I think you might also in the kind of late game when everybody's super powerful and you're setting up a final boss, you might hit some of the beats of the hero's journey pretty hard just so it feels cinematic. Um, but then there's the middle level, which I would characterize as the tier, which is that every like four or five levels in the game, the nature and feel of the game fundamentally changes. Maybe not fundamentally, but noticeably changes. You go from tier one, which is up through about level five, which is where your characters can all get killed very easily. They don't really have capabilities that are very much beyond a regular person. Uh, it's, it's more of kind of a low magic. You don't get to cast magic spells that often. It can feel grittier if you want it to, right? And then you go, you go from, that's called like, you can, they call it, I think, in the book, like lo, your local heroes. And then you can become like national heroes and five to 10, right? Okay, you're coming into your own. You're definitely known in the area or perhaps, you know, by the king, right? You're, you're really, you're getting powerful. You're getting to the point where you're the kind of person that they would call to solve big problems, right? And then you go from that into 10 to 15, where it's like, okay, you are like the biggest heroes around. You know, you you might have to travel to another continent or another world to solve their problems. You might have to solve a problem that's threatening the entire world, right? And then you go to the last tier, which is, you know, oh, you have to fight the biggest evil that's fi- that's, that's confronting the entire universe, right? You're, you are universally recognized as one of the most powerful people in the, in, around and, uh, and, and, you know, you have to be, these are the kinds of scope of the adventures that you're playing. And each of these tiers, uh, when, when Wizards of the Coast pub or anybody else, you know, because third parties publish adventures too, when you can get and buy an adventure and play the adventure, and the adventure is generally going to have recommended levels. And in particular, in uh, if you're playing kind of pickup adventurers league with like different people in different places, I want to play in this bar one night, another bar, another night, another game shop. Uh, if any of those places were hypothetically open, or I can just play in three different groups and roll 20, I might play adventures of different tiers. Um, and, and I might not take it. I can't really take a character from one tier and put them into another tier because they'd either dominate everybody else or get killed. Um, and so in that sense, I think that it, when I'm thinking about the difference in the play in the tiers is where the hero's journey really breaks down uh, because it is not you don't have that kind of um, death and rebirth cycle. You don't have the point where the character becomes a hero. You, you have the points where the characters kind of become something else, but they go through changes that are different than the changes that you go through in a hero's journey from like Luke Skywalker to Jedi Knight, right? It's more the change of, okay, well, how do you go from somebody who, you know, has proven himself to his village, right? And, and is the, and is the acknowledged as the great hero. How do you go from Willow at the end of Willow to like Conan, the barbarian, in the story of Conan, well, first of all, you gain a lot of height and you drink your creatine and whatnot. But like, but like, these are different scopes of problems that they're dealing with. Like Willow comes home to his village, or like Bilbo Baggins in his village is a different person. Although, of course, Bilbo has gone far and wide. But like Frodo's on another level from Bilbo is perhaps another way of saying it, right? Bilbo had to go to the mountain and fight the dragon and come home. Frodo has to sacrifice his entire identity to go on this like horrible terrible quest that strips him of every aspect of pleasure in his life and his sense of privacy and rings him out like a like a like a rag and he has to go to like the very gullet of hell right and he has to like throw away the small recompense he's received from this sort of churning up of his insides um and then he can go home but he can't really go home right and so what I'm thinking of in terms of Dungeons and Dragons and, and kind of heroes journeys is like as you progress in the game, the, the sort of stakes of how, what kind of change you're going through is different. And it's not like a movie where every time you start a new movie, you start with a new character. You're, you might play the same character for three years and they're not going to be like, oh, now's the time that I go to the underworld to meet my father again. Right. I did it. I did. I do it once a month, every month for for five years. <laughs> I, I bring a, a bowl and I bring a black shot or whatever. And I and I <laughs> put the blood in the bowl and I wait for Theresius to show up and we shoot the we shoot the breeze. Right. Because I. Every game is the hero's journey. Um, it's not like that, right? It, it, there's other kinds of stories you can tell. Um, and I know I'm, I've kind of like belabored the point a little bit, but it's it's. I think I think you are onto something when you're saying that if your goal is to tell a coming of age hero's journey story, then 
then yes, maybe there is a role in the game of Dungeons and Dragons in connecting you to a mythical history or to a way of expressing yourself like it does in Stranger Things, right? Um, but actually playing Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, you could tell any kind of story. You, I would, I would even venture to say that you could tell, you could do a romantic comedy just as easily as a coming of age story hmm. in a Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Um, you know, you you can, you know, you meet the you meet the prince and the princess, or the two princes and the two princesses, or whoever it is. They meet each other. They don't like each other. They have to go on a trip together, right? And then, and then like they they're stuck together and they constantly frustrate each other, but they come to trust each other. And then when their chips are down they realize that they're there for each other uh and then they get together right like that's i mean whether it's romantic or unromantic that kind of thing is played out in a lot of dungeons and dragons stories uh in terms of the party and the socialization between the party members is more important uh you know you don't you don't look at star wars and think like man i really hope luke and chewbacca end up friends after this is all over (laughs) well i mean i will i will i will unpack i will i will step back and i'll flip that over did you ever think that it's kind of weird that Luke and Chewbacca don't really have a relationship? <laughs> like, like <laughs> after everything that's happened, <laughs> like, like they like each other, I guess, but it's not, there's no, I don't think there's any scene where it's like Luke and Chewbacca kind of talk about everything they've been through and, and like, you know, Oh no, you know, Chewbacca has been drinking and Luke has like got to do an intervention. <laughs> like there's, there's no socialization between Luke and Chewbacca because they are not, characters they're not co-equal characters luke is the hero and chewbacca is a supporting character uh right and so like yeah when when han and chewie are traveling they have more of a relationship but luke and chewie don't really have that kind of relationship in dungeons and dragons it's very much han and chewie and not luke and chewie unless you're playing with a jerk um and, and in that case it's almost like everybody is a supporting character uh, and, and, uh, you know, you take turns. Yeah. They're, they're, the, I mean, the generic, the big generic differences between sort of ensemble, ensemble drama and, uh, you know, and hero story. Right. 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 Yeah. So, well, it's, uh, it's time, uh, my players for this campaign to come to an end. <laughs> This adventure, the campaign continues. Oh, they, 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 yeah, but the campaign continues. Thank you very much for uh, playing with us. Roll, uh, you know, roll 1d20, and we'll see if Pete's, uh, you know, Pete returns next week, if Mark returns next week. If I, no, the Overthinking It podcast will return <laughs> next week, uh, and we will be here for you to continue on this great campaign. Until then, visit us on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. I regret to inform you that a gelatinous cube has devoured this party and the Overthinking It podcast will actually not be back next week. (laughs) <laughs> I was actually thinking, oh man, what would be the DC on that roll? What would you have to roll in order for me to come back on the podcast? Huh. Um, because there's a good chance one of these days I'm going to be I'm going to be stepping away for a little bit, not for more than maybe a week or two, but like you know, so maybe you have to roll again. I don't know. Do you have proficiency in uh, in quick and easy labor? Is that, <laughs> is that something that we can get advantage on? <laughs> uh, is that more? A, is that more a constitution what? or is that more a strength? Oh, man. Uh, It's certainly not charisma.